This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God today? I want you to know that even as we begin our study this morning, that there is no reason that I should be standing before you but for the grace of God. And there's no reason that any of you would be sitting here in front of me were it not for the grace of God. Are you guys ready and excited about studying God's word together? Turn to Acts chapter 2. If you have not been with us in the last couple of weeks, we have started our fall teaching series in the book of Acts. And as you can see through all the graphics, we've entitled it Upside Down Church. And the reason we've called it that is because when you get to Acts uh, chapter 17, we learn that these early disciples and these early apostles of Jesus Christ, through the radical work of the Holy Spirit inside of them, had caused the world to take notice. And people even mocked them and in deridingly so called them the people, the men, those unlearned men who had turned the world upside down. And what we want you to know here at Mill City Church is as we study the early church and God's work among his church is that our faith is no less radical today than it was in the first century among these first disciples. And as we allow God to work in us and through us and to transform us and to shape us more like Jesus, the things that we hold dear, the mission we are a part of, and the way we interact together will be nothing less than radical to the world around us. And so what we've seen already in the first two chapters of Acts is we see Jesus promising his Holy Spirit and then fulfilling that promise by sending him to his people. And as we studied Pentecost last week, we saw just the the marvelous work that happened there at Pentecost and this powerful miracle that God displayed through his apostles and the salvation that took place among 3,000 souls. Now this morning, we're going to see the continued work of the Holy Spirit in those early Christians' lives. And what we're going to see this morning is that when God places his Holy Spirit inside of you, when he saves you, there is a radical effect that happens. No one stumbles into the faith. No one accidentally becomes more like Jesus. Now here is what's, uh, what a very important uh, point to recognize today is. Is that although our salvation... Although Christianity is very personal at the very heart level of you and me, it is not individualistic. It's deeply personal, but it's not individualistic. Because I want you to see a transition that takes place. And so last week we ended with verses 40 and 41. And so that command to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 41 says that so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then when you look at verse 42, the scripture says, And they devoted themselves to, and we're going to read through this, This morning in this paragraph, what I want you to immediately see is that salvation came 
to 3,000 individuals. But the apostles did not send them on their way and say, go have happy experiences with Jesus and just glorify God in your life as little isolated beings for the remainder of your time here on planet Earth. Immediately, what we see in Luke's biography of the early church and Jesus' work among them is that immediately they attached themselves to one another and they began living life together in a way that is very radical, not even to the world at large in the 21st century, but I would even argue it's very radical to the church in America today. And so this morning, let's begin by reading verse 42, and then we're going to dive in and see what God would teach us through his word this morning. So the word says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Here's the foundational truth I want you to see today. Here's the foundational truth I want you to see to be able to bridge what we saw at Pentecost last week to what it means for the church today. The Holy Spirit changes God's people in the context of radical Christian community. The Holy Spirit changes God's people God doesn't send his Holy Spirit just so that we can have power on demand to do some miraculous things like the apostles did. If that's how you read Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you will be missing the whole point. When we get to the church here in verses 42, what we see is that when God saves a people, he also seeks to change those people. And the place where he seeks to do that changing is in the context of the Christian community. And what we're going to read today in this summation paragraph, this snapshot of the early church, is this Christian community was a very radical Christian community. And so that's what we get here. We get a snapshot. We get this little microcosm of the bigger work of God in the first century. And so this morning, as we make our way through this text, I want us to do a couple of things. First, I want us to see what characterized this early church. What did they do? What what was important to them? What was different about them? So I want us to make those observations But I don't want us to make those observations to simply have a great Sunday school lesson today. Because if all we do is learn what the early church did, and we have no recognition of what it means for you or for me today, then we will miss the point of the text. And so we want to to recognize that. And then what we want to do is we want to say, what does that mean for Mill City Church? And so how I'm going to explain this today as I want us to see the multi-directional movement of the Holy Spirit and his work inside his people. Because he works inside of us in multiple different directions. A direction towards God, a direction towards ourselves as the body of Christ, and also in the direction outward towards the world. 
And so let us look at that as we make our, make our way through this paragraph. First of all, the first direction that we see here is that the Holy Spirit changes us, and in changing us, he draws us upward to love God. This is one of the quintessential descriptions of the early church here. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Also, it says that they devoted themselves to the prayers. And then when you look at verse 33, it says, And awe came upon every soul. Going down to verse 47, it says they were praising God. So we see immediately that the Holy Spirit's work inside of them was to change the trajectory of their lives upward towards God to more effectively love and know Him through the apostles' teaching, praying, and worshiping. And so, I want to ask us some questions this morning. Number one, will we be a learning church like the first church was? Will we be a learning church? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what this means, it, it, it would have encapsulated several different aspects of God's instruction. One, it certainly would have meant the Old Testament scriptures as Jesus would have known. Oftentimes, I think about the Old Testament like this. The Old Testament is the Bible Jesus read. The Old Testament scriptures, the prophets of God. So the apostles' teaching most definitely would have included that. But the apostles' teaching also would have included the things that Jesus had instructed them during his earthly ministry with them. And it would have been the truths that he was passing on through them to his people. Now today, we can look back and say, we have the Old Testament scriptures, which would be the Bible Jesus read. But we also have the New Testament scriptures. And what are the New Testament scriptures? This may be a question that you have asked before, or perhaps one of your friends have asked you. And they've asked you things like, how do we know that what we have in the New Testament is what we're supposed to have? And it all goes back to apostolic authority. And so when the Bible tells us that these first century Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, there is an authority and a weight, there is a weight that comes with what the apostles would have taught. And the reason is because they walked with Jesus. They ministered with Jesus. Jesus personally commissioned each one of them to carry on the work of his ministry after his departure. And so the books that we have in the New Testament are directly attributed to an apostle of Jesus Christ. Or they are written by someone who had close connection in partnership with an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so there's apostolic authority. Friends, what this means for you and for me today is that we are to be a church comprised of individuals who see the word of God as our food and source of strength for life. It is our nourishment in, the, in our spiritual walks. And so that when we come in here as a faith family, what we are doing is we are now taking all of that individual nourishment, that individual longing for the word of God, and it now becomes a corporate longing, a corporate study and learning of the word of God. This was so important to the early apostles. The apostle Paul himself writing to Titus one of his co-workers in ministry in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 1, it was so important to him that he made an appeal to Titus saying, but as for you, teach what accords to sound doctrine. 
Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, I want to show you one other quick thing here. I would love to spend more time on this, but as you can see, we have a long way to go in a short amount of time. But I want you to see this because I don't want you to miss it. Not only to the apostles' teaching, but look at verse 43. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What's happening here? Is this saying that every person who preaches the word of God, that if they're really of God, that they should be able to perform miracles on the spot right here in the moment? That would be a misreading of the text. What's going on here is just like Pentecost. What God is doing is he is stamping his, he is stamping his approval on these first century apostles. And he's accompanying the ministry of the word with these, this ministry of the miracles and the works. And he's saying, you believe what they say because of what I'm doing through them. Just like you believed what my son said in accompan- with the accompanying works and miracles done through him. Brothers and sisters, today, as followers of Jesus, 2,000 years later, we can trust the scriptures because these apostles passed them down to us. And we can trust what the apostles passed down to us because they came directly from the Son of, of God, Jesus Christ, whom commit, who he, he had commissioned them. And so this morning, I want to ask us, like the early church, will we be a learning church devoted to the Word of God? Will we be a praying church? It says it also, they also devoted themselves to praying. As Derek Thomas reminds us, these early Christians were not merely content with talking to each other. They also talked with Jesus Christ. And today, brothers and sisters, we can't just be satisfied with interacting with one another and bringing our problems, bringing our struggles, bringing our hopes and our desires for the kingdom of God just to each other. But we bring them before God through Jesus Christ. And the early church gives us those examples Those early Christians, they devoted themselves to praying through the book of Acts. I would even challenge you. Like, here's a challenge to you. Read through the book of Acts over the next week or two. And underline or circle anytime you see the word pray, praying, prayed. Prayers. It's all throughout here. The early church prayed formally in gatherings like this. And they prayed informally in their homes. They prayed individually by themselves and they prayed corporately as the body of Christ. They prayed wherever they went. They prayed proactively in advance of circumstances they knew that were going to happen. But they also prayed reactively in response to circumstances they weren't expecting. They prayed for the preaching. They prayed before their eating. They prayed for the sick. They prayed for the advance of God's mission. They prayed in the midst of persecution. They prayed after the persecution was over. They prayed in jail, out of jail, and their prayers shook the very gates of hell. The early church was a praying church. I wonder if God looked at Mill City Church today, would he know us as a praying church? I wonder if the world was able to just pull back the curtain a little bit and looked inside this gathering this morning and the lives we live, would the world 
be able to say, I don't get it. But those people are a praying people. This is a challenge to me as your pastor. This is a challenge to us as a leadership team. This is a challenge to us as community group leaders. This is a challenge to us as the body of Christ. Are we a praying church? Are we too quick to bring our passions, our longings, our questions, our doubts before each other, before ever bringing them to God Almighty? And it's not an either or, but may we not bypass the Holy Trinity for the sake of each other. Will we be a praying church? Thirdly, will we be a worshiping church? Will we be a worshiping church as they received the word of God, as they enjoyed the provision of God, as they experienced salvation from God? They were in awe, the scripture says. And awe came upon every soul. Boy, I tell you, if 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus today on our campus, in our city, that, that would cause us to say, whoa, wait a minute. Wow, we have never seen anything like this before. Or my people in Mississippi, we might say, we ain't never seen nothing like this before. But regardless, we would be in awe, right? And they were. You get down to 47 and it says that they were praising God. It just characterized their life. Will we, be the, will we be a church that is known for our worship? Not just our ecstatic singing and lifting our praises on Sunday morning, but just being in awe of the works of God, both great and small, in the big things of life and in the minutiae of life. We are a blessed people. God has lavishly poured his grace out upon us. And there are some of us who are so consumed with looking for the big show or the supernatural miracle that we're missing the little miracles in our hearts on a daily basis. It is a miracle that every one of us in this room doesn't go chasing back after our sin. It's a miracle that God has saved any of us, much less all of us, if we're, if we're professing faith in Jesus this morning. God has done miraculous things among us. He's brought the spiritually dead to life. Will we be in awe like these early believers were? And so what they, the first direction of the Holy Spirit, where he, we see his change in us, is he changes our direction upward to love and to know God. But a second way he changes us is he changes us inward. He changes us inward in order to pull us inward to love one another. This is where we reject the individualism of Western Christianity. The question cannot just be, what is God doing for me? The question also has to be, what has God done for? What is God doing for us? What is God doing with us? What is God doing in us through us? Because you get this vibe as you read through this paragraph. Is that God was not saving a bunch of individuals to himself only. 
He was saving a collective people to himself, for himself. And he's not simply saving you so that you can spend eternity in heaven. He's saving you to a group of people so that we will collectively be with him in heaven throughout all of eternity. And so we, the Holy Spirit, one of the signs, one of the evidences that he has worked in and through us is that he changes our direction in order to pull us inward to love one another. And so let's ask ourselves some questions here. Will we be first a loving church? Will we be a loving church? Uh, Look at uh, verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. You look down to verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That word fellowship is one of those churchy words, right? It is like at the, one of the top words in our Christian vernacular. So if you're looking up the Christian dictionary of terms, fellowship would be glaring. The lights would be going off. And sometimes we say these words without really knowing what they mean. And that word fellowship comes from a word called koinonia. And it, it means a shared commonality. It means that there is something at the very core of our existence in Jesus that links us together, that unites us together, and makes us as fellow believers similar in a way that, that us and non-believers would never have in common. That, in light of our ethnic differences, our gender differences, our familial differences, there's a commonality, there's a sharedness that we experience. Now, the Bible teaches us that we have koinonia with God. It also teaches us that we have koinonia with Jesus. And we have koinonia with the Holy Spirit. And now, he's saying that we have koinonia with one another. Now, I want you to follow my logic here. If we have a shared commonality, if we have this this new identity in common. What that means is we are now of a new nature, a new kind, a new type of humanity God is creating for himself. And what it ultimately means is that if we are a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, we're not simply Christians who have some things spiritually in common. The Bible is teaching us here that we are literally a new family together. We are brothers, we are sisters, we are mothers, and we are fathers, we are sons, and we are daughters. This changes everything. It changes everything, and it actually explains the radical nature of these early Christians. Now, I want, you, I want to pose a question to you. For most of us in this room, do we have a hard time thinking about loving our moms, or loving our dads, loving our sons, loving our daughters, loving our brothers, loving our sisters? Isn't there something natural to the human experience that we have a natural love for those who share the same bloodline? You following me? What the Bible teaches us is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved by the blood of Jesus And not only are we saved by the blood of Jesus, we are now adopted into his family by the blood of Jesus. We now have a new bloodline. 
And so we are now linked together in a way that we will never be linked together with the non-believing world. And so as a result, we should love each other, serve each other, look out for each other with the same type of sibling solidarity, the same type of familial love that we would share in our homes. This isn't radical, right? I mean, this is crazy talk. But this is what the Bible is teaching us here. And do you know that in the New Testament, there are almost 60 one another's in the New Testament? Love one another. Bear with one another. Persevere with one another. Forgive one another. I'll stop there. You get the picture. There are a lot of one another's. This is the picture of the church. This is not a Christian club. It's not an organization you're joining. It's a family you're being adopted into and a commitment that is going to override a lot of other commitments in your life. But I would also even say it's going to inform the other commitments in your life. Will we be a loving church? I got to tell you, I've been a member of several churches in my lifetime. I'm not sure that I've ever been a part of a church like Mill City. And I say that in a, in a very good way. I love watching the way you love on each other. I love watching the way you serve each other. I love watching the way you sacrifice for each other and you care for each other. But just as Paul told the Thessalonians, I'm going to tell you, excel still more. Keep doing it more and more. Will we be a loving church? Will we be a generous church? Verse 45 says that not only do they have things in common, not only do they have this koinonia this mutual love and familial bonds with each other, it also says it started displaying itself externally. Look with me at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Think about that for a moment. That's radical sharing. They had such a care, such a concern such a love for each other that it, that it burst out in provision. Uh, moms and dads in the room, do you, do, you have to, do you have to work at lavishing love and grace upon your children? For most of us, we would say no. Sons and daughters, do you have to, do you, do you have to work up the mustard? Do you have to work it up to, to, to share with your brothers and sisters? And your, no, if you knew that your family was in need or you could do something to encourage them or provide for them, you would jump at the opportunity. These early Christians said, I have new brothers and sisters. I have new moms and dads. I have new sons and daughters. So this doesn't mean I forsake my earthly family. It just means I now have more family members. And it means that we share with each other. And we give generously. And sometimes we even do some crazy things. I, I love thinking about some of the stories here at Mill City. I, I love watching as young guys who have the ability to think mechanically and take apart cars and put them back together, who, who will, will fix a brother or sister's car at, at free of charge just for the cost of parts so that it saves that family in need money. I, I love watching as, 
as, as people who are going through financial crises, that, that, that not only do our elders try and help in those circumstances, but I also just watch as family members here and young professionals just will, will give this and, and give that. I, I love watching as, as people are struggling with the loss of a, a loved one and watching the body of Christ just surround them in the middle of their despair and give them, them hope and comfort in the midst of their grief. I love watching the amount of time that members of our church sacrifice in walking alongside of each other when they could be selfishly pursuing that time for purposes for themselves. Friends, what we get from the early church is whether it's our resources, our money, our possessions, our time, we share those things sacrificially and generously with one another because it evidences that the Holy Spirit has changed the trajectory and direction of our lives. And he's pulled us inward to love one another and to be generous and sacrificial towards one another. And lastly, I want to ask you this question because we see this in the text. Will we be a together church? Will we be a together church? It says that they were a loving church, they were a generous church, but they were also a together church. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now, this doesn't mean that literally we must come into this room every day in order to follow the example of the first century disciples. That would be missing the point. But what it does show is that these early Christians were together all the time. They were together regularly. And what we learn here in this text is a couple of things. It shows the pattern of their life. Their gatherings were large group gatherings. It says that they were gathering in the temple. So there were large group gatherings like this, but then there were smaller gatherings. Small group gatherings because it says that they were breaking bread in their homes. Their gatherings were formal. They were in the temple together, but they were also informal. They were in homes. Friends, this is why we're structured the way we're structured here at Mill City. We're going to have a weekly worship gathering like this and other special uh, gatherings where we gather together as the body of Christ to be, be with the people of God and to worship him corporately. But it's why our community groups are, are structured the way they're structured in the middle of the week where you're going into one another's homes and you're breaking bread together, literally sharing a table together and, and you're experiencing life together and studying the word together and praying together and serving one another together. It's because the first century church was a together church. And so we want to follow their example and be together. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this in the form of an admonishment because apparently just a few years later, there were those who had been saved by Jesus who weren't taking this seriously. And they weren't following the example of that day-by-day -day togetherness in each other's lives because the writer of Hebrews says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another. There's another one of those one another's, by the way. Stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing 
near. Now, I know in a room this size that there are those of us in the room who you are here early and you stay late and you're literally walking alongside of people in the body of Christ on a weekly basis every other day or daily basis. I get that. I affirm you and I rejoice when I look at it. But I also know that in a room this size, there are those of us who may be a little more tepid at Christian community. We're a little more hesitant. We're a little more reserved. And, and on the surface level, that's okay. God wires some of us differently. But what I want to do is I want to encourage you to fight through that hesitancy. Fight through it. Fight against that so that you can overcome those things. Because I would be so bold today to tell you this. That if you are not experiencing both the formal and informal, the large group and the small group, if, if your only Christian experience is based on Sunday mornings alone, I'm telling you on the authority of the scripture, you will never experience the Christ life like he meant for you to experience. Because the early church shows us this togetherness. And so I want to, I want to help you fight against being a, a church ninja. Just, just kind of showing up and just kind of being unannounced and kind of coming in unnoticed, leaving unnoticed, and no one ever knew you were here. All right, fight against that. Make yourself known today. Every week, you can probably fill in the blanks. Every week at the end of worship, I intentionally say, please stick around and get to know someone that you don't know as well. And the reason I do that is because I myself need that constant reminder that I need to meet new people. I need to make new friends. I need to know my brothers and sisters in the room. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. So will we be a together church? Now, the Holy Spirit changes his people in the context of radical Christian community. He changes our direction upward, drawing us to know and love God. He changes our direction inward by pulling us inward to one another and growing as the family of God. But then the third thing I want you to see here is that he then sends us outward to serve the world. He changes our direction outward in sending us out to serve the world. Now, it would be tempting here to look at the example of these early believers and see that everything was about knowing and loving God and growing in and knowing and loving one another. And they just basked in their Christian community, this newfound faith, this new family God had invited them to and just made snow angels in the grace and love of God and say, we got ours, y'all are on your own, right? That's what we could have read here. But that's not what we read. He could have stopped at verse 46, but he went on with verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people, not just the saved people, but with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Even in the middle of this radical community, this new family they were experiencing together, God had their eyes on, their attention on the world around them. Friends, you and I have that same calling today. We have that same calling. We can't just bask in our Christian experience 
and the new community we have found. God is always wanting to take, I love this picture. It's like we are gathered together and he's put a rope around us to secure us in the midst of this world. And what God is constantly at work doing is expanding that rope and expanding that rope so that others can come into the fold. Now, how do they do that? They do that by the faithful proclamation, witness, and sharing of his people. We've already seen this in chapters 1 and 2, right? We've seen this the last two weeks. And so that's our calling. We are to be witnesses. We are to be sharing. We are to be evangelizing. And so here are our questions here. Number one, will we be an attractive church? I love verse 47 because it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. When I think about the church at large in America, I'm not sure that culturally speaking, the church in general always has a lot of favor with popular culture. Um, and some of the, there are different reasons for that, and we could sit here for an hour and we could talk about that. But in study after study, the world at large sees the church as hypocritical. The world at large sees the church as being too political in nature. And so it's not exactly a favorable view among a lot of people. But there are those who, when you encounter them and you're letting them into your life, but then you're also letting them in on the church's life, and they start watching not only how you speak and how you talk, but how the groups of you get together and talk and how you interact with each other, how you serve each other, how you talk to each other, how you play games with each other, how you feed each other, how you enjoy each other's company, how you serve the world together. When an average non-believing friend peers into that, and experiences that firsthand, there's something very attractive about that. There's something compelling about that, magnetic about that. I had two different conversations this week with brothers and sisters and our faith family who shared with me an example, each of them, two different experiences of how they, along with a couple of their believing friends from our church, were with a non-Christian, and that non-Christian basically said, I don't know what it is about you guys, but there is something very compelling there that is pointing my attention to something other than just you. That's the picture that the writer Luke is telling us here about the early church. There was a way about their life that was magnetic, compelling, and attractive. Now, here's why this makes sense. It may not make sense to us as human beings, but it makes sense spiritually because Jesus Christ in the upper room with his disciples after washing their feet, knowing he's about to go to the cross. This is one of the last things Jesus tells the disciples before he leaves for the cross. In John 13, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is the greatest apologetic for the Christian faith. There is a lot of talk in the 21st century Western world about relevance for our culture. And so oftentimes we think relevance equals high-tech band. 
Or we think it includes fog machines and special effect lighting. Like we think about relevance in those terms. Jesus says, you want to be relevant? Love people who are very unlovable. Get along with people who are very different than you are. Live radically generous. Live radically loving. Live radically together lives and you'll prove to the world that I'm real and I'm true. Will we be an attractive church? And secondly, will we be an evangelistic church? Will we be an evangelistic church? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we saw this last week, didn't we? That ultimately, it is God at work in the human heart. It is God at work calling people to himself, drawing people to himself, and it is God who, had, who has brought salvation to his people. So it's the Lord who's adding to their number. But in his genius plan and strategy, the way in which he goes about that is he has given you and me the blessing of being a part of that process. And putting his gospel on our lips. Putting it first in our hearts and secondly on our lips. Guys, we could love each other radically, sacrifice for each other generously, be together with each other until literally, as my grandma would say, the cows come home. <laughs> Still haven't figured out what that means, but it's what she said. <laughs> we can literally do those things. But if we don't preach the gospel, and if we don't tell the gospel, if we don't share the gospel with our friends, family, neighbors, roommates. It's all for naught. The early church did it. And I want to implore you this morning to do the same thing. You can say, well, Chris, I'm not very eloquent. Well, neither was Moses. Well, I'm not very smart. Read the scriptures. Neither was Peter. Chris, I don't know all the answers. Neither do I. This is the hope for us. We saw this in week one. It's not you. It's not me. It is the power of the Spirit within us. You speak. You make it known. Let Him do the work. Will we be an evangelistic church? I don't know what all of your experiences are with church this morning. My guess is in a room this size, there are a lot of positive examples, a lot of positive experiences, and there are probably some bad experiences in the room this morning. But may I just lovingly and pastorally challenge you this morning to not let your opinion of God's church, the church for which Jesus died, do not let your opinion, your viewpoint, or your ability to participate in or commit to it be predicated upon the sinfulness and bad experiences with other people. Look at what Jesus wants his church to be. Look at what Jesus has already done through his church. And even look around you, even in the midst of our imperfections here, the goodness and the grace and the marvelous work among God's people. This morning, if you are 
if you have never placed faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that that's what prohibits you from being a part of God's church. Because God's church is for God's saved elect people. But I want you to know that you can attach yourself to God's church today because today can be the day of salvation for you. And so I would implore you to turn to the same gospel that these apostles taught and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, has done what he says he has done, and receive what Jesus says he offers. And you do that by acknowledging that you are a sinner, turning from that sin, turning away from that, and turning towards God, believing and having faith that Jesus will save you and make you right with God. You can do that today. And there are people in this room who would love to walk alongside of you and help you understand how to do that. But you also may be here today and you're like that church ninja. And you kind of secretly come in and you secretly go out each week. And Sunday morning is your only experience. You, you haven't attached yourself as a member. You haven't simply dived into the, uh, the uh, community here and attached yourself in faithful commitment to God's local church. Let me say a couple of things to you. It doesn't have to be Mill City Church. I recognize that Mill City Church is not the church for everybody. And that's okay. There are a lot of different churches reaching a lot of different people. But it could be Mill City Church today. And we would love to walk alongside of you in that journey. There's a membership class this coming Saturday. There are elders and community group leaders and staff members today who would love to ask, answer your questions that you may have about what it would mean to attach yourself to a church. We can also even give you strong recommendations of other faithful churches in the area that we would trust and would have no problem sending you to. We want to help you. The thing for us, we simply want Jesus' followers to be attached to a gospel-preaching church where they can be on mission with unapologetically, and without reservation. So let us help you in that process.